0: So we are in a series called Every Square Inch. And if you missed the series, don't worry. We're recapping the whole thing today. It's based off of a quote by Abraham Kuyper, which says there's not one square inch of the all of creation that Jesus does not declare mine. And he's not some two-year-old that doesn't know how to share He is the sovereign God over all of it, the creator of it, the one who knows what to do with it, the one who loves every part of it and is reconciling all of it back to himself. So we're looking at the whole gospel, it was our first week, our whole life, and this week is the whole world, but we're going to recap the first two because we're in the book of Colossians. And as I was reading and preparing for today and just working over the text, the whole book, kind of over and over again this week, there's just this amazing movement that I saw in the book, which echoes the amazing movement of how God works in our lives. And so we're going to look at that today. Paul starts with this thesis statement that I want to start with. Oh, yeah, and so we're not going to have slides today because we're going to cover most of the book of Ephesians, and that would be real awkward to do on a slide. And so if you want to get out your phone, get out your paper Bible, or get out a paper Bible underneath your chair at the end of the row, you can pass those down as well. We're going to be in Colossians today. It's in the New Testament. It's in the latter half of the New Testament. Um, Colossians. We're going to start in one, Colossians 1. Since we're doing the whole book, it makes sense to start at the beginning. Paul starts with this thesis statement. I don't know if it's even that. That could just be, it's a cool overview of what he's going to do in the book. Uh, Colossians 1, starting in verse 3, he says, In our prayers... For you, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, for we have heard of your faith in Jesus Christ and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. You have heard of this hope before in the word of truth, the gospel that has come to you, just as it is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world. So hang on, it's, it's, you've heard the truth, which is the gospel, which has come to you your whole life and is bearing fruit in the whole world. So here's our series. Uh, So it has been bearing fruit among yourselves from the day you heard it and truly comprehended the grace of God. We're going to be talking about the whole gospel What is this gospel that is bearing fruit and growing in the whole world? What is this gospel? What does faith in Jesus mean? What is this gospel that we are talking about today? What is this whole gospel that we're concerned with? Rick taught about this two weeks ago. We're going to take a look at it. Colossians 1.9. For this reason... We have not stopped praying for you and asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of God's will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you may lead lives worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him as you bear fruit in every good work and as you grow in the knowledge of God. May you be made strong with all the strength that comes from his glorious power. And may you be prepared to endure everything with patience while joyfully giving thanks to the Father who has enabled you to share in the inheritance of the saints in the light. Here we go. He has rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son in whom we have redemption The forgiveness of sins. The whole gospel summed up real succinctly. He rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved Son, into Jesus' kingdom. Transferred us from darkness to light, from slavery to redemption. From chaos to peace, from sin to righteousness, from death to life. This is the whole gospel, real short. He rescued us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom. transferred us from being under slavery to sin and Satan and death and transferred us into the joy and freedom that is under the lordship, under the reign and rule of Jesus, where our redemption, our being purchased from slavery to sin, where our redemption and righteousness come, the forgiveness of our sins. There's the gospel who is this gospel all about? It is all about Jesus. And Paul tells us all about Jesus starting in verse 15. He says, Jesus, he is the image of the invisible God. He is the firstborn of all creation. And that doesn't mean he was actually born firstborn as a title. It's a title that means he inherits all of it. The firstborn of a household back in the day got to inherit all of the dad's possessions and was in charge of all of the stuff. The firstborn in a royal family is the one who gets the crown. And uh, he is the firstborn of all creation. He gets to inherit all of creation because in him all things in heaven and on earth were created. Things visible like the world, invisible, like the spiritual realm, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things have been created through him and for him. He himself is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the head of the body, the church, We're talking about the whole gospel and the whole gospel never moves past Jesus. Jesus is the foundation. He's the cornerstone. He is everything. It is all about Jesus, about his death, about his um, resurrection from the dead, about his forgiving our sins, about his reigning and ruling over us now. It's about his kingdom and his righteousness and his glory and his return and his life. It is all about Jesus. The whole gospel is wholly about Jesus. Jesus. He is the good news. He is the word of God. It is all about Jesus. We never move past him. Our understanding will grow. We get to experience more and more of what Jesus is about and what kind of king he is and what kind of shepherd he is and what kind of God he is and what kind of leader he is. We get to grow in our understanding of that, but we never move past him. which is good news. Because he says again, for in him the fullness of God was pleased to dwell and through him God was pleased to reconcile himself to all things, whether on he- in, on earth or in heaven by making peace through the blood of his cross. And you who were once estranged and hostile to God in mind and doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body through death so to present you holy and blameless and irreproachable before him. The cornerstone here of Jesus' work is that he... So. Jack and James, my, my three and four-year-old who were here and left, um, they had asked me why Jesus had to die on the cross, and how do you explain the propitiation of sin to a uh, three-year-old? And the Lord is gracious, and he said this. He says, Jesus gained a superpower. He gained a superpower on the cross. And that superpower is that he can turn bad guys into good guys, which is the best superpower of them all. And this is it. It's right here. He's turning bad guys into good guys. You who were once estranged, hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body through death to present you homely and blameless and irreproachable. He turns bad guys like us into good guys like us now. It's great news. It is all about Jesus. It is the whole gospel. Uh, Colossians 2.2, he 2, says, I, uh, I want their hearts to be encouraged and united in love so that they may have all the riches of assured understanding and have the knowledge of God's mystery. That is Christ himself in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That This whole thing is about Jesus. What is the knowledge of God's mystery? It is Jesus. What is our assured understanding? It is Jesus. Where are the hidden treasures of wisdom and knowledge found? It is in Jesus. Jesus who created everything. He knows everything. There is wisdom and knowledge actually found in him. He sees it all. He knows it all. He is sharing it and leading us forward. It is all about Jesus. That's the whole gospel. Jesus and him crucified, raised from the dead, and reigning in heaven redeeming us from our sins. Now, how does this whole gospel work itself out in our lives? Jesus said, the law and the prophets can be summed up in two things. Love God and love your neighbor. Love God and love your neighbor. And it actually is cool because the Christian life is pretty easy. It's Jesus and loving God and loving your neighbor. Three things. And so we get to watch that worked out in our three things here. So the whole gospel works out in our lives and in the whole world. This kingdom of light and life that we live in, the kingdom of Jesus is expanding through everything. And so as there is a call that as we touch and we find life in Jesus, there's a call for it to move through our whole lives. And so... A friend of mine gave this analogy, and he said there are kind of two approaches to Christianity. One is the orange approach, so not the color but the fruit, citrus approach. If you cut an orange in half this way, it looks kind of like a pie, right? And uh, you've got different sections in it. And he said some people approach their faith like an orange with Section it off. Okay, here's my Sunday morning, and that is where Christianity is practiced, or here's a Bible study I go to, and that's Christianity, and here's maybe a morning prayer time. But the rest of these sections, they're mine, and I get to run them and, and be in charge of those sections. And maybe I'll surrender another section to God, but I'm not quite ready to do that. Versus the chocolate milk approach. And if you've made chocolate milk, you have a glass full of milk and you add chocolate to it and you mix it up. And what happens is the chocolate becomes fully integrated in the whole glass of milk. There is not a partially not chocolate part of that milk. You don't keep the center white and the outside are, is chocolatey. It, uh, it, it works its way through the whole thing. And so when we talk about whole life Christianity, we're talking about the gospel, which is Jesus infiltrating and filling and enriching every part of your life. It's Jesus in all of it. And that's our beliefs, our thoughts, our actions, and our interactions. And so Paul begins to talk about this in Colossians, and he says, uh, he first addresses beliefs and he says there's a couple things that are, 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 are set up against Jesus and set up against the gospel. And so he gives two warnings and he says, first of all, see to it that no one takes you captive. We're in Colossians 2.8, sorry. See to it that no one takes you captive through philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition or according to the elemental spirits of the universe and not according to Christ saying there's two ways in this warning that we can be deceived through philosophy and empty deceit. It's not bad to do philosophy. It's great. Uh, Some of the great philosophers said philosophy is the handmaiden to theology. It's great. It can help us think about the world well. It's not the enemy, but it is not sufficient. When we subtract Christ from the equation, It all falls apart because in nine, for in Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily and you have come to fullness in him who is the head over every ruler and authority. Is that if we subtract Jesus, who is the deity dwelling bodily, if we subtract Jesus from the equation, we lose. So when he warns us with philosophies that subtract Jesus from the equation or spirituality that it subtracts Jesus from the equation according to elemental spirits of the universe worshiping lesser spiritual things than Jesus. He warns us our beliefs matter. We want this life that we have found in Jesus to interact with every part of our being starting with our head in our beliefs saying okay are there beliefs that are set up against Christ in our mind that are holding us captive apart from Jesus spiritually or philosophically to be on the lookout for those because he talks about how great Jesus is and he says in him you are circumcised you are marked with a spiritual mark putting off the body of flesh in the marking of Christ that we have Christ written on our hearts because when we were buried with him in baptism We were also raised with him through faith in the power of God, who raised him from the dead. Saying at our baptism, the entrance into our life with Jesus, that we were buried in death and raised again in Jesus, in the power of God, we were raised to life. And in 13, it says, and when you were dead in your trespasses, and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive together with him when he forgave all of our trespasses, erasing the record that stood against us with its legal demands, setting it aside, nailing it to the cross. He disarmed the rulers and authorities and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. So he's saying something really important here. He's saying that in Jesus, we have the forgiveness of our sins. And he's setting this up because there's a second really big warning to uh, our belief system. And the second one is saying, and he starts in 16, he's going to say, yes, philosophy and spiritualism devoid of Christ is a threat to your whole life being filled with the fullness of God. But he's also saying religion is a huge threat to your life being filled with the fullness of God. He's saying, therefore, in 16, do not let anyone condemn you in matters of food or drink or observing religious festivals, new moons or Sabbath, because these are only a shadow of what's to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Don't let anyone disqualify you Insisting on self-abasement, the worship of angels, dwelling on visions puffed up without cause by a human way of thinking and not holding fast to the head whom the whole body nourished and held together by its ligaments and sinews grows with a growth that is from Christ. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the universe, lesser spiritual realities, why do you live as though as you still belong to that world? Why do you submit to regulations? Why do you submit to religion? Don't handle, don't taste, don't touch. All these regulations refer to things that perish with use. They're simply human commands and teachings. They have indeed have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-imposed piety, humility, and severe treatment of the body, but they are no value in checking self-indulgence. He's warning against an external religious facade as opposed to having your heart transformed into the reality of Jesus. Religion is like pouring white milk into a brown cup and calling it chocolate milk apart from Christ, in human effort, doing religious things is like pouring white milk into a brown cup and calling it chocolate. It is just the outside. The inside is not transformed. He's saying, rather, let Christ dwell in you richly. Let him fill your hearts. Let him consume every part of your life. Let him inhabit your whole being so that we live in the fullness of the whole life that Jesus died to give us. Our beliefs matter. He warns us not to fall into empty deceit with human tradition or a lesser spiritualism that ignores Christ and warning us to stay away from dead legalistic religion that asks for external adherence without internal transformation. And our actions and attitudes also matter. Our And so it's not just what we believe, our orthodoxy, that's important. What we believe is really important because it actually informs our actions. But our orthopraxy, how we live out what we believe, is equally as important as what we believe. Colossians 3, 1. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is. Seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ. When Christ, who is your life, is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. And so he's saying now, put to death the old way of living, put to death the old way of life, put to death the deeds of the kingdom of darkness and the life that we used to live. He says, put together whatever is in you is earthly, fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming on those who are disobedient. These are the ways that you once follows when you are living that life. But now, get rid of such things as anger and wrath and malice and slander and abusive language from your mouth, don't lie to each other seeing that you have stripped off the old self with its practices, that we have died to the old way of living. We have been set free from this kingdom of darkness that is marked by anger and wrath and malice and abuse. Instead, we're being clothed with a new self, With righteousness in Christ, we're being made into the image of Jesus, that we've been giving a new life, and we're encouraged to put on that new life, to let the gospel infiltrate every part of us. And you clothe yourself with the new self, which is being renewed in the knowledge, in knowledge according to the image of its creator. And what's important here is it says it's being renewed in knowledge. It's not saying just belief. That in Jesus, there's actual knowledge that we can have. he said, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are found in Jesus. That it's knowledge. It's not just in some ethereal realm that it's not true. And we've got our belief section of the orange over here. And we have our knowledge section of the orange over here. And Jesus can inhabit the belief section, but he can't inhabit the knowledge section is false. There is knowledge in Jesus. My sister just uh, became a Christian in January, and if you were here on Thursday, um, I shared this, but she became a Christian in January. She was finishing her thesis uh, for her doctorate, and she was really just... Uh, She was like so burdened by it because she felt like she wasn't going to make a contribution to her field. And she's finishing it up and she's praying about it. And she's like, God, I really want to make a difference. I want to add something to the dialogue. I care about this field. I care about what I'm doing. And she said a thought just struck her. And it was a new thought. And it brought these two different divergent fields together and created something that was really good and helpful. And so she was all excited on the phone and she said, I was like, holy Jesus, that's amazing. (laughs) What I love it because one, it's just fresh and real, you know, it's like, holy Jesus, that's amazing. And two is because it shows that there is actually knowledge available in Jesus, that it's not just belief, there's knowledge, that God cares about geography and urban planning. He like, he cares about everything, every square inch of the universe he cares about, all of it. And he knows about it, and he can instruct us on it. So, having closed itself with the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge, according to the image of its creator, in that renewal, there's no longer, and this is so good, guys, there's no longer Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and free, but Christ is all in all. He's also saying in the new life in Christ, there's not the societal divides that we create ourselves. There's not the in and out religiously by your ethnic heritage, Greek or Jew. There's not the in or out religiously by your external adherence to pietistic practices, an external marking, circumcised and uncircumcised, marked by religion or not marked by religion. There's not the ethnic divides, the socioeconomic divides between barbarian and Scythian. These are like folks on the outs. He's saying we don't judge the value of each other by where we come from or what we look like. Slave and free, they're not talking about socioeconomic standards. Slavery, and we're going to get into this more, in the ancient Near East was different than slavery in America. Slavery in America was wholly abhorrent and horrible. Slavery in the ancient Near East is bad, but it was more like um. We're enslaved to student loan debt when we get out. People, you have said to a company, hey, I will pay you back these tens of thousands of dollars and I'm not actually free to have my own money until I pay all these off. Um, it's, it's a different thing. And so we're gonna talk about that more in a minute. But slave and free, it's a, it's a socioeconomic divide. And it's saying whether you're poor or you're rich, it doesn't matter. Because Christ is all in all. This new way of living, it it takes our whole life. It takes our beliefs, and it takes our actions, and it takes our interactions with one another. And we deal with each other on the basis of Jesus instead of on the basis of our own prejudice or our own background or our own read of the world. We deal with each other based on Jesus. And this is what it means to live our whole life for Jesus. Our actions, our attitudes, our beliefs matter, and so do our interactions. He says, "As God's holy One, as God's chosen ones, 3:12, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, clothe yourself with compassion and kindness, humility, meekness and patience. Bear with one another, and if anyone has a complaint against the other, forgive each other, just as the Lord has forgiven you. So also you must forgive. Above all, clothe yourself with love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts. Let his peace be the the controlling reality of your heart. Let the peace of Christ be the controlling reality in your heart, to which you are indeed called in one body. Be thankful and let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. Let Jesus dwell in you richly. Teach, admonish, encourage one another in wisdom. And with gratitude in your heart, sing... Psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God. And whatever you do in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. This is what it looks like to live in Christ. It's not the anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive language, division based on external circumstances, background, money, It's not fornication, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed. No, it's this life in the light and love and peace and wisdom of Jesus. That's what we're called to live our whole life in. And when we live in that reality, it spills out into the whole world. And the way that the kingdom moves forward is relationally. So the next thing, this transition into whole world, which is what I was supposed to be preaching on today and what I will start preaching on now, is it's this shift because it's built on this. It's built on Jesus and it's built on Jesus radically inhabiting every part of our life and impacting our beliefs and our attitudes and our actions and it will impact our interactions with one another to impact the whole world. It's not that, okay, I come to a belief in Jesus and then I fly to the other side of the world to go do something with some people I don't know. No, it's a matter of I'm impacted by the reality of Jesus in my heart or in my head and it begins to transform my life and I'm taking off the old way of living and I'm putting on a new way of living and that new way of living is impacting the people around me. That's how the world becomes impacted. He talks about husband and wife relationships. He talks about children and parental relationships. The most intimate, closest relationships your dear friends, your roommates, your parents, your children or spouses, which not many of you have, but, but for, it's that, it's this close interaction. And as we are transformed and we begin to love and encourage and care for one another, our worlds begin to be impacted. How could the world be impacted if our world isn't impacted by the good news of Jesus? How is it good news if my kids hated me. And if they were neglected and they were not cared for, how is it good news? It's good news when Jesus, his life, Christ, who is my life, impacts my wife and impacts my children more than anyone else. But then it moves out from there in concentric circles. Like if we chucked a rock into a still pond, it makes a big splash that big splash is like when Jesus impacts your life, right? Everything's different. The surface tension is broken. A big splash goes up, right? We're dunked in the water of baptism. And then there are concentric circles that go out. And my life is impacted. My wife is impacted. My kids are impacted. My parents are impacted. But that's not all they talk about. They talk about work relationships. And again, he's talking about slaves and masters because there weren't corporations in the ancient Near East. So he says, slaves, obey your earthly masters. I say, interns, obey your earthly supervisors. Employees, obey your bosses in everything. DAs, obey your professors in everything, not only while being watched in order to please them or to get a good grade or to get a good recommendation letter out of your internship, but wholeheartedly fearing the Lord. Whatever your task, put yourself into it as done for the Lord and not for your supervisor, your boss, your professor, whatever. Since you know that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you serve the Lord Jesus Christ. Then it says masters, so camp counselors, bosses, professors, treat your employees, your campers, your, empl- your uh, TAs justly and fairly, for you know that you have a master in heaven. So it doesn't just impact our familial relationships or our friendships, it also impacts our working relationships. It impacts the things that we do with our life. I love it. It says in 2 6, it says, Therefore, you have received, uh, received Christ Jesus the Lord. Continue to live your lives in him. It says, Continue to live your lives in him, rooted and built up with him, established in the faith just as you were taught, abounded in thanksgiving. It doesn't say, Therefore, you have received Christ Jesus the Lord, do a bunch of new things differently or add a bunch of religious practices. That's not the main thrust here. Although those come, we read our Bibles more, we pray more because we meet with Jesus in those times and he is amazing. But as you have received Christ Jesus, the Lord, continue to live your lives in him. What does it look like to invite Jesus into your relationships, into your friendships, into your workplace? into your classroom, into your sorority house? What does it look like to live your life with Jesus where you are? This is how the whole world is impacted. Yes, we have opportunities to do amazing missions and those are good and I'm even gonna talk about one at the end. But like the main thrust of the gospel impacting the whole world, the main expansion of the kingdom of light and love and goodness is by the kingdom in me the light in me, the life in me, interacting with those around me, spilling out from me to the others in my proximity. Jesus spent three years on earth, well, three years in ministry. He wasn't three. (laughs) Three years in ministry, and he spent a lot of that time running away from crowds and investing in 12 people because he knows that the kingdom expands relationally. He invested deeply in a community that he surrounded himself with. It was mostly with three and 12, and then he had 72 kind of other followers and 150 that kind of gathered around him. And that's where he spent most of his time, running from the crowds. The kingdom doesn't advance primarily in the crowds. Cool stuff happens in the crowds. The kingdom advances in the close proximity relationships. And so as we live in the glory of the gospel, this death to life transition, this new life in Christ, this darkness to light, chaos to peace, sin to righteousness, death to life, slavery to freedom, this kind of life, it impacts all of us. The invitation is to stir the cup and allow the chocolate just to just to take all of it over because God isn't bad. He's really good. And his life in our lives, in the areas that are most challenging or the areas we're most hesitant to invite him into, he makes a really positive impact there because he loves us. And he died for us because he loves us. He is a good shepherd who lays his life down for the sheep. That doesn't mean he is just a benevolent shepherd who means well. He's a pretty nice guy, but I don't know if he's actually capable in this really hard part of my life. The reality is he is good. He is benevolent, but he is also excellent. All of the treasures of wisdom are found in him. He knows what he is doing. He is good at his job as Lord and Savior. He's good. He's good at what he does and he means well. He can be trusted And so we can stir him in to every part of our lives. And so what does it look like to impact the whole world? Paul gives us a few more tips for two. He says, devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. Why is prayer the most important first step? into the whole world being impacted. It is because like Jeff opened with, it is an awareness of where God is and what he is doing. We work on our intimacy with God. We start with prayer. We get to know him. We interact with him. We learn about the treasures of wisdom that are stored up and who he is and what he thinks about and what he thinks about us and what he thinks about the people around us. As we devote ourselves to prayer, we become so much better at understanding who Jesus is and what he's about. He doesn't call us to be salespeople for Jesus. He doesn't. I come from a sales background, so I thought like, and I made a joke because I used to sell alcohol, um, wine and spirits, and so I sold wine and spirits, and then I transitioned to be a pastor, and so I would make a joke. Oh, I'm just selling a different spirit, but we're not. We're not salespeople primarily. Salespeople have to like build a compelling case for something and try to get all of our fact sheets in line and uncover the perceived problem and then bring the solution to it. We're called primarily not to be salespeople, but to be witnesses. A witness is someone who has experienced firsthand something. They've seen it. They've experienced it. They've witnessed it. So we're called to be witnesses, which means the whole gospel impacts our whole life. And we experience that. We witness it in us first. And then we get to bring that out and be like, man, God is really good. Because I've seen that he's good. I don't just believe he's good. I know he's good because I've seen he's good. Here's what Jesus has done for me. Devote yourself to prayer, keeping alert in it with thanksgiving. Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing here? What are you doing in this crowd today? What are you doing in my internship? Why is that person so difficult? How am I going to get through this situation? Lord, what are you doing? Where are you at? Keep alert with it, with thanksgiving which the Thanksgiving piece is really good because we can keep alert. What is this problem? 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 But it's also like, okay, Jesus, you are good. Look at this resource. Look at the care you have. Oh my goodness, I have eternal life in Christ. Oh yeah, that burden of weight and sin is actually gone in my life. The Thanksgiving is important because it helps orient us to reality of who God actually is, who this Jesus actually is, and what he has done. So we keep alert okay, Lord, what's going on here in prayer? And we thank him because it orients us to the reality. And Paul actually believes what he's saying too, because in 3, 4, 3, he says at the same time, pray for us as well, that God will open a door for the word that we might declare the mystery of Christ for which I'm in prison so that I may reveal it clearly as I should. Paul is taking his own prescription. He's asking for prayer for two things. First of all, for a door to open. He realizes that it's not just a matter of getting the words right and going out and just getting the words right and handing it to people, that for transformation to happen, for dead people to come alive, for transference from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light to happen, for that to happen, Jesus actually has to open the door. I can't make dead people come alive. I can't transfer people from the kingdom of darkness to the kingdom of light. I can't do any of that on my own. And neither can Paul, even though he's like actually an apostle and I'm just a dude. Um, But he understands that he needs God to open a door for the word. And he needs God to help him reveal the word clearly as he should. That it is a total reliance on Jesus. It's a reliance on Jesus to open the door for Paul to minister. It is a reliance on Jesus for him to speak as he should once the door is open. And that's the paradigm for us in reaching the whole world is that we need Jesus. We need Jesus for the opportunity. We need Jesus for our own salvation. We need Jesus to help us be able to clearly communicate as we should. And he says, conduct yourself wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer everyone. So I really like this. Um, Conduct yourself wisely towards outsiders, making the most of the time. Let your speech always be gracious and seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. What does it mean to season something with salt? I had a great grandpa where he, uh, we were at this bad restaurant in Pennsylvania long ago when I was a kid, but it is emblazoned in my memory. And this uh, plate of fried shrimp is sat down before him. And he takes the salt shaker before tasting everything. And fried shrimp isn't like a salt free food anyway. And, uh, and he takes his salt and he just goes and he goes and he goes. And he goes, and it is very salty. And he eats it. His eyesight was going at that point, And you could tell it was bracingly salty for him, but he worked through it. That's not what we're supposed to do. <laughs> if we cook well, what we do as we're cooking, I love to cook. It's one of my favorite things. As we're cooking, what you do is you season while you cook and you taste your food to make sure that you're seasoning it well. And so the call for us, for our speech to be gracious and seasoned with salt, is us to taste what we're saying, to think about what we're saying, not just to take a salt shaker and just on everybody but it's to, with the Lord, there's a thing called three-way listening, which is this devoting yourself to prayer. It's you're in a situation and you're talking to a friend and you're saying, man, what's going on? How are you doing? You're talking to your coworker and then you're also listening and you're saying, Lord, what's going on? Like, what do you want me to say here? God, What what is what is really going on? How can I actually be encouraging? How can I help my sister? Like, what is it that is really going on, Lord? And listening to him while you're listening to other people, tasting the words before they come out, not just like heat and and reserve whatever it is that you have, but seasoning graciously with salt, listening to the people, listening to God, conducting yourselves in wisdom, being gracious and relying on the Lord for the interaction with others. And when we do that, this gospel of the wonderful Jesus, our Lord and Savior, our King and Redeemer, the good shepherd, the good father, the good teacher, the savior of the world will impact our lives, consume our whole lives, fill our whole lives, put on this new life of love and light and joy, stir the chocolate into the whole thing, enrich every aspect of our lives. And that life spills out around us. And as we walk with him, and as we talk with him, and as we interact in love with those around us, the gospel moves forward. His love impacts those around us, and the whole world will be impacted. What's so cool is that you guys are going this summer all over the world, going all over the country and all over the world. And you have an opportunity to walk with Jesus in that. To walk with him in all of that. To walk with his life in you. And to walk with him and let him teach you new things and show you new things. And he'll, with the strength of his great power, help you to love the people around you. To interact with them well. To care for them. And to bring life and transformation wherever you go. And that transformation might be internal and not external, right? That transformation is you go on a mission trip. This is common. You go on this mission trip with a grand plan of like saving a swath of a country you've never been to. And you walk away with a big like realization that's just internal. And you realize God took you halfway around the world for thousands of dollars to show you something about himself or yourself. Or you might be (laughs) <laughs> working a, uh internship that seems meaningless, and it wasn't your first choice. It was like your third choice, and you're going to be like on a factory line in Kokomo or somewhere you don't want to be. Sorry if you're going to Kokomo or from Kokomo. I'm not, yep. But You're working a line in Kokomo and you are expecting to be somewhere cool, doing something cool. But in that, as you are abiding with Jesus, you might actually bring salvation to people or help set people free. Something amazing can happen there. So walk with Jesus where he is taking you. Devote yourself to prayer. Keep alert. Walk with this amazing Jesus and light and life will flow out from you because Jesus has put it in you. So we're going to get ready for communion. So if you're getting that ready, you can get it ready. But communion is this amazing picture and experience of Jesus' life. That before he was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then he said, took the cup after dinner and said, this is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of sins of many. And so with his broken body and his poured out blood, he bought our redemption. He forgave our sins. He died so that we might live. And so as you take that, you eat the bread and you drink the cup, you think about not only is this a cosmic reality out here, But this is an intimate reality that we take in ourselves, that we eat it and we drink it. And it is a representation of his life in our life, in our body, dwelling with us, empowering us, giving us the grace that we need for our life. And it dwells in us. And it is a picture of what it looks like to have him inhabit our whole lives. So if you don't know Jesus, if he's not resting there in you, if you haven't surrendered your life to him, don't take communion today. It is not what saves you. Jesus is who saves you. We'd love to talk to you about that. We'd love to help introduce you to him. He is wonderful. Take communion and ask the Lord, ask the Lord as you take it, is there an area of my heart that's sectioned off? Is there an area of my heart that I'm keeping reserved from you? Is there an area that you want to tear down the wall that you wanna enter in? Is there part of my life where there is darkness that you wanna shine your light in? You don't have to be afraid of it. Jesus died to forgive it doesn't matter how dark it is. His light shines through all of it. His forgiveness is sufficient for anything in your heart or life. And the Lord might, as you're taking this, he might want to show you an area where you can impact those around you. Say, hey, there's this person that you've just missed all year that I love and they're just being Missed. Maybe there's a person that that I just want you to say hi to. Just let him be in charge. Keep alert in prayer. But yeah, as you take this, just ask him, is there an area that you want to shine your light in? Is there a section of my heart that you are asking to surrender control to? Or is there something in this world that you want me to pay attention to? So Jesus, would you show us that? Would you lead us in that? You are a good leader. You're a good shepherd. God, you love us. You don't lead us places to hurt us. You lead us places to heal us. Even if you're asking us to enter into a dark valley of our past, you're asking us to go there because you have resources to deal with the darkness, that you are light in life, that you bring healing and forgiveness, that you will heal all our diseases. You will heal all, forgive all of our sins. That you will deal with our whole past. <laughs> that you also will deal with our whole future. That you're never gonna leave us and you're never gonna forsake us. Maybe that section that we need to surrender is our future, not our past. Our past, yeah, what Dave, I, I trust Jesus, my past is fine, but oh man, what is this life gonna be like? And we can trust our whole future to him too. And he's a good shepherd, and he's gonna continue to lead us.